7, the disciple of John report all these things to him. And John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many peoples of disease and plagues in evil spirits, and all many who were blind, be, he bestowed a sign, and he answered him, Go and tell John, where you have seen and heard, the blind receive their sign, the lamb walk, the lepers are cleaned, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see a real shaken by wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are the king's court. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I told you, and more than the prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I told you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdoms of God is greater than he. When other people heard this, and the text collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected and purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. เมื่อพระองค์ตัดคำเหล่านั้นให้ประชาชนฟังเสร็จแล้วพระองค์จึงเสด็จเข้า sorry พวกสิทธิ์ของยอนก็เล่าเหตุการณ์ทั้งหมดให้ยอนฟังท่านจึงเรียกสิทธิ์ของท่านสองคนมาแล้วใช้เขาไปหาพระองค์ผู้เป็นเจ้าเพื่อถามว่าท่านเป็นคนที่มานั่นหรือหรือว่าเราจะต้องรอคอยอีกคนหนึ่งเมื่อสองคนนั้นไปหาพระองค์แล้วเขาก็ทูลว่ายอนผู้ให้บัพติสมาใช้บัพติสมาใช้ข้าพเจ้ามาหาท่านเพื่อถามว่าท่านเป็นคนที่จะมานั่นหรือหรือว่าเราจะต้องคอยอีกคนหนึ่งในเวลานั้นพระเยซูทรงรักษาคนจํานวนมากให้หายจากโรคภัยต่างๆและพ้นจากวิญญาณชั่วร้ายและทรงรักษาคนตาบอดหลายคนให้เห็นได้แล้วพระองค์ตัดตอบสองคนนั้นว่าไปบอกยอนในสิ่งที่ท่านได้เห็นและได้ยินคือว่าคนตาบอดเห็นได้คนง่อยเดินได้คนโรคเรือนหายสะอาดคนหูหนวกได้ยินคนตายเป็นขึ้นมาและพวกคนยากจนก็ได้รับฟังข่าวดีใครไม่มีเหตุสะดุดในตัวเราคนนั้นก็เป็นสุขเมื่อผู้ส่งข่าวของยอนไปแล้วพระองค์จึงตัดกับฝูงชนถึงยอนว่าท่านทั้งหลายออกไปยังถิ่นธุรกันดารเพื่อดูอะไรคงไม่ใช่ดูต้นอ้อไหวเมื่อถูกลมพัดหรอกนะถ้าไม่ใช่แล้วพวกท่านไปดูอะไรไปดูคนที่แต่งกายด้วยเสื้อผ้าเนื้อดีหรือนี่แน่คนที่แต่งกายด้วยเสื้อผ้างดงามและอยู่อย่างฟุ่มเฟือยย่อมอยู่ในพระราชวังแล้วพวกท่านออกไปดูอะไรดูผู้เผยพระวจนะหรือแน่ทีเดียวพวกเราบอกยอนเป็นยิ่งกว่าผู้เผยพระวจนะคือท่านผู้นี้ที่พระคัมภีร์เขียนไว้ว่าเราจะใช้ทูกของเรานําหน้าท่าน
ผู้นั้นจะเตรียมมะขาวไว้ข้างหน้าท่านเราบอกพวกท่านว่าในบรรดาคนที่เกิดจากผู้หญิงนั้นไม่มีใครยิ่งใหญ่กว่ายอนแต่คนที่ต่ําต้อยที่สุดในแผ่นดินของพระเจ้าก็ยังใหญ่กว่ายอนทุกคนรวมทั้งบรรดาคนเก็บภาษีเมื่อได้ยินก็ยอมรับว่าพระเจ้าทรงยุติธรรมโดยเขาได้รับพัติสมาจากยอนแล้วแต่พวกฟาริสีและพวกผู้เชี่ยวชาญบัญญัติไม่ยอมรับพระประสงค์ของพระเจ้าที่มีต่อพวกเขาโดยเขาไม่รับพัติสมาจากยอน Thank you, Sister Lita. Uh, it's now time for the word of the heart for the things of God, and I'm really honored to to introduce him this morning. So Mike is one of our elders, elders here at CCC. Uh, although he and his family uh, just moved to the Nichada area in August of 2019, Mike and his family have been in Thailand since 2011. So that's uh, I think much longer than most of us. Uh, and Mike and his wife Mandy have two boys, Mark and Matthew, and one girl named Mercy. Today, Michael will take us through uh, the book of Luke, chapter seven and eight. Uh, so let's make sure to give him a warm applause as he mounts the podium now. Right? So please put your hands together for Mike. Thank you. See if I can move this. All right. Thank you, Max and CCC, for your warm welcoming. Hmm. First, I'd like to say what a privilege and honor it is to be up here speaking to you today. Um, growing up with a stuttering problem, pub public speaking has not been something that I'm very comfortable with. Um, so I feel very blessed that God has led our family here to CCC, and I'm very blessed that God has equipped me for the works of His kingdom. Uh, please know that I don't take this responsibility lightly. Let me see if I can get this. Um, as Roger mentioned last Sunday, I'm a big basketball fan. So I was very excited uh, to have an opportunity to share with you my list of NBA's greatest of all time, basketball's GOAT. However, the more time I spent creating my list, uh, the, the more I began to see that, that this is pretty challenging um, to select the greatest of all time. As a basketball fan, I understand you can't just look at the stats and easily uh, put together a list. So the more I began to look into this, the more I realized that selecting the greatest has a lot to do with personal preference, has a lot to do with playing styles, uh, preferred positions, and favorite, favorite teams, and, and so many other things. So instead of calling this list a true list of NBA's greatest players of all time, I'm just going to call it my list of my top seven players. That way, it's okay if you disagree. <laughs> So um, number seven on my list, Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq. And number six on my list, Kobe Bryant. So as a Lakers fan, how could I possibly create a list uh, without including Kobe and Shaq? Some these two players I grew up watching, and and uh, so many great great memories of them dominating in the NBA. 
number five on my list is the great Magic Johnson. Number six, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with his famous unstoppable sky hook. Number three, Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain. Wilt uh, still currently holds 78 NBA records, which is pretty amazing. And uh, all right, this is where the list gets very controversial. <laughs> so number two, I went with Michael Jordan. Number two, Michael Jordan. And number one, as you can guess, LeBron James. So although it wasn't an easy decision, I put LeBron James at the top of my list for a couple of reasons. First, as you can probably tell, I'm a Lakers fan. I don't know, but uh, I think six out of the seven are, are Lakers and currently have their jerseys retired at the Staples Center. Um, so any player that's put on the purple, purple and gold is going to get a, a few extra points in my book. Um, second, NBA basketball is a five-player game, and I believe that LeBron James is a little bit more well-rounded player than Jordan was, getting his teammates involved. And lastly, and most importantly, we are currently in the LeBron era. So growing up, uh, I got to watch a lot of NBA basketball with my dad. These were great bonding times, and he would talk about the greats of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. And now I'm a dad, and my kids and I get to watch basketball together. I just think it's such a cool uh, time to be able to tell them that they're witnessing the greatest basketball player of all time. So on a side note, both Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan's longtime playing partner, Scotty Pippen, agree with me. So I'm in a good company. <laughs> so that's my list of NBA's greatest players of all time. Uh, I could talk about this much longer, but this is church. Uh, so instead of talking about NBA's greatest, let's talk about the greatest, greatest, Jesus Christ. So as some of you know, uh, CCC has been through a huge transitional period over the last couple of months. Uh, nearly all the previous elders uh, have, ha have left, and there wasn't too much leadership in place, um, including a, a head pastor. So times were tough. But praise God that our deacons and many other CCC members stepped up at such a critical time to help weather the storm. During this difficult time, CCC, uh, during this difficult time, a CCC message team was created to help spread out the preaching responsibilities. Uh, the team would meet together to discuss Sunday morning sermons and split the load of preaching. Over the summer, when Nichita turns into a ghost town, uh, they, they did a couple of video series. And after the summer, the message team decided to start teaching through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, at the beginning of this year, the new elders were confirmed. The elders met with the message team and joined forces. Although we still don't have a head pastor, we have seven of us who are working together to teach God's word here at CCC. So although not having a head pastor might not be your personal preference, Roger actually brought up a good point. He said that this is such a great opportunity for us to reach a diverse congregation. God has equipped the seven of us with different backgrounds, different skills, and different perspectives that all point and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is that if you don't like me speaking up here this week, Somebody else will be up here next week. So be patient. So when the message team met a few weeks ago, it was our assignment to choose a message direction for the next couple of months here at CCC. 
One of the things we decided was, one of the things that we discussed was whether we should continue studying the book of Luke or if we should do something different. We all agreed to continue the study of, of, of Luke and we plan on ending this study right around Easter time. So what we did was plan to teach Luke chapter 24 on Easter Sunday and split the remaining chapters up throughout the weeks leading up to Easter. So using this process, I was assigned to speak on Luke chapter 7 and 8 today. Um, I spent a lot of time reading and praying and asking God what he would want me to speak on today. Luke chapter 7 and 8 are jam-packed with so many amazing stories and teachings. How could I possibly choose one? So uh, what I want to do is just take a quick overview of Luke chapter 7 and 8. In the, um, so Luke chapter 7, we see four main stories or sections. Uh, the first section, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. Uh, this is one of the only times that Jesus was amazed by somebody's faith. Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith. And this person is a Gentile. This is an amazing story filled with a lot of insight and application. So after this story, Jesus raises a widow's son. Jesus literally brings a boy back from the dead while he is in a coffin. This is a great story about God's power, even over death. The next section talks about Jesus and John the Baptist. In this story, John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or if they should be expecting someone else. To end chapter 7, a sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet. This is a wonderful story about how God came to save sinners and not people who thought they were already right with God. The big takeaway here is those who have been forgiven much will love much. And those who have been forgiven little will only love a little. So the question is, how much have we been forgiven? As we go into chapter 8, chapter 8 is actually seven different stories or sections. Um, In the first section talks about the woman that accompanied Jesus and his disciples. Then Jesus gives the parable of the sower or the four soils that many many of us are familiar with. Jesus explains the purpose of parables and the meaning of the four soils parable. Jesus describes his true family. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus heals a man who was demon-possessed and sends the demons into a herd of pigs. And finally, Jesus heals a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus brings back Jairus' daughter, um, who, has, uh, who was 12 years old. So I... Roger brought up the significance of 12 last week. I thought it was really interesting that in one story, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and also Jesus brings back to life a a young girl who was 12 years old. Very interesting. So I'm looking at these stories. I'm reading through each of them multiple times and asking God. I'm praying and asking God for direction on what he would want me to speak to you today. I made a decision to preach on the centurion's faith And then I decided to change it to the parable of the four soils. I just couldn't make up my mind. And then an email came in. And this isn't the first time that God has spoken to me through an email. And if you want me to tell you about the other time, uh, come and talk to me after the service. But getting back to my story, so I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm asking God for direction. And then an email came in. In this email, the message team had had agreed to come up with a theme for our series through the book of Luke. And the agreed upon series name was, Who is the Greatest? 
That's why we've been doing these greatest Olympians, greatest NBA players, and just a, kind of a springboard to our teachings. So who is the greatest? So what's so amazing that I just, I just finished reading Luke chapter 7, and I had been thinking about God's uh, word um, in verse 28, um, when Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. So that settles it. The message team agreed to come up with a sermon title, sermon series title, Who is the Greatest? In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. So my sermon title today, Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 28, John, real greatness. I also called it the greatest man who ever lived, right? The true goat. <laughs> but before we get into this message, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, you are the maker and creator of all things. We gather here today with praise and thanksgiving. We worship you for you are the one and only true living God. You've created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. In your word, it says, in you we live and move and have our being. There is nobody in this room right now that has life outside of you. There is nobody in this world who has ever existed outside of your will. You are the creator God and there is no other. We worship you. Lord, we come here with thanksgiving. We are so thankful that you have created us and given us life. Every breath, every meal, every day is given to us by you. Lord, we are thankful and we appreciate all you have provided. Lord, as you know, each of us comes from a different background, a different life, and different perspectives. But we gather here today to learn from you. Teach us your ways, Lord, and help us unite together in the truth of your word. Lord, I am just an ordinary man. Empower me to speak your words to your people in a way that would bring glory and honor to your name. In the famous words of John the Baptist, I must decrease and you must increase. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So the gospel writer Mark records an incident where Jesus, conf is, uh, where Jesus confronted a father with a demon-possessed boy. A very serious case of demon possession, one of the most serious recorded in the New Testament. The demon had somehow made this boy mute, and he could not speak. The demon had affected this boy in such a way to give him seizures. He foamed at the mouth, he ground his teeth, he stiffened himself, convulsing and falling over and smashing into whatever was in his way before he hit the ground. And the father, dealing with this pitiful son, came to Jesus and told Jesus it had been this way with a boy since childhood, what gives us the impression that he was perhaps a teenager. The horror of this, not only the physical difficulties, but the embarrassment that created such a pitiful scene that the father, hearing of the power of Jesus, brought the young boy and asked Jesus if he could help his son. Jesus responded with this statement, in uh, Mark chapter 9. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And the father's response is famous. In Mark chapter 9 verse 24, it says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me, un help me overcome my unbelief. 
What a strange statement. You do believe? Help your unbelief? But we all understand that. We understand believing doubt or doubting belief. And that father's testimony is the testimony of most of us. I do believe. Help my unbelief. That is to say, I believe, but my faith is incomplete. My faith is assaulted with doubts. Astonishingly, that is the exact situation in the text we find ourselves in this morning. Not with just a passing stranger such as this father, but with the greatest man who had ever lived up until this time, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all. Let's start by rereading today's selected scripture, starting in uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. As we look at the beginning of this section, we see that it starts with John's disciples told him about these things. What things is he talking about? Well, to answer that question, we'll have to look a little bit earlier into the previous section. Starting in the previous section, right after Jesus had raised the young boy from death while he was still in his coffin, it says that the people were filled with awe. Sorry, next slide. Yeah. So the people were filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. So we see that the people are saying, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Then it says that this news, this news about Jesus, spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So when John's disciples hear this they go and report this news back to John. To really understand this, this passage, it's important to first review who is John and where is John? So this is John the Baptist. We know from Luke chapter 1, verse 36, that Elizabeth, 
John's mother and Mary, Jesus' mother, were relatives. From this, we know that John and Jesus were related. We also know that John would have been about six to eight months older than Jesus. John is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about a forerunner who would appear before the Messiah. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Also, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So, John is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. It's also important to note that John had a miraculous birth. See, both John's parents were very old and well past the childbearing age. And Elizabeth, John's mother, had been barren and unable to have children her entire life. It's also important to notice that an angel appeared to Zechariah to foretell the birth of their son, John. Very interesting stuff. This John also baptized Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16, we, we read, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So John is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about a great prophet who would appear before the expected Messiah. John's birth was miraculous. An angel appeared to his father. His parents were too old to have children, and his mother was barren. And most remarkable is John being able to be there and witness the baptism of Jesus, where heaven was opened He saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove. And he heard a voice from heaven say, This is my Son. How is it possible, after all these things, John still questions whether Jesus is the Messiah? How is this possible? I don't know about you, but in my personal walk with God, I have not seen this much revelation. Don't get me wrong. God has revealed himself to me in mighty ways. But when I look at all these things that John was able to experience, my life doesn't even come close. The big question that I have is, how is it that even though John doubts Jesus, even after all this revelation, Jesus still calls John the greatest man that has ever lived? Let's think about this. God has given John an amazing revelation and understanding from heaven. Then, John doubts if Jesus is even the Messiah. Then, Jesus calls John the greatest person that has ever lived. How is this possible? I think the answer is simple and something we can all relate to and learn from as Christians. You see, when John started his ministry, he knew what his mission was. He was the forerunner for the Messiah. He went out to baptize and prepare people for the arrival of the Messiah. 
He was full of conviction and preached a fiery message about God's judgment towards unrepented sinners. A great man of conviction, John called all people to repent or else face the fiery judgments of God's wrath. He didn't care about people's perceptions of him. Rather, he had his mind focused on eternal things, calling everyone to let go of this life and surrender to the eternal God. You see, John saw the kingdom as something that was right around the corner. He counted every day like it was his last, and he sought to prepare as many as possible to fear the Lord, repent, and produce fruit worthy of repentance. He prepared people for the coming of the kingdom of God. In the beginning, John's ministry was, was good. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 5, Speaking of John's ministry, it says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan. So his ministry was good. People came from all over to hear his message and to be baptized by him. However, when trials and tribulations arose, because of his teachings about God's judgment and righteousness. Even calling out the king, John was thrown into prison. During this time, John begins to doubt a bit. I'm speculating, but I'm thinking that he might have thought, hey, here I am, doing what is right, being faithful to God's word, telling everyone about the coming of the kingdom of God, expecting any day that the Messiah would come and set us free from these evil people. And where has this gotten me? Here I am in prison for doing what is right. Is this really the Messiah? Or should we be expecting someone else? Can you relate to John? Have you ever felt like this? You love God. You follow him the best way you know how. In your mind, you know that that is right, and therefore God will bless you and make your life better. Only to wake up with difficulties, heartaches, and frustrations. Have you ever felt like John? Have you ever asked, is this really the way, or should I be looking for something else? I'm telling you today that these are not bad questions, and it's okay to doubt. John doubted, even after all the revelations that God allowed him to experience, John doubted. Yet Jesus still calls John the greatest man that has ever lived until that point. That means that he's greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than King David, even greater than Elijah, who was taken up into heaven without experiencing death. In fact, you can read in Hebrews chapter 11, which is nicknamed the Hall of Faith, because, of, because it lists all the mighty men and women of great faith. And you can conclude that John the Baptist is greater than all these great men and women of faith. Yet, as we just read in chapter 7 of Luke, verse 19, John doubted. So I tell you, it's okay to doubt. I'll even take it a step further. You are going to doubt from time to time. We all need to recognize this. We all need to expect this. Doubt will come. And doubt can do two things. It can lead you away from God, 
or it can lead you towards God. You can doubt and not seek answers, which will lead you to trust in your own reasoning. Questions like, is God real? Is the Bible really the perfect and errant word of God? Is hell real? Is God really going to punish all sinners in an eternal fire? With human reasoning, you'll look around this country that is less than 1% Christian, and you'll conclude, this can't be true. God isn't really going to punish all my friends and family that don't believe in him. This kind of doubt, without investigation, will lead you away from God. However, a doubt that produces investigation will lead you to greater faith, greater understanding, and greater revelation. You see, when John doubted, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Christ or should we expect someone else? Jesus responded, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So we see that John investigated and he found out that Jesus was fulfilling all the things that the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah. Therefore, his faith was restored and his knowledge about the, about the Messiah became even greater. John doubted. His doubt led him to investigate. His investigation led him to greater faith. At first, John believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now John knows that Jesus is the Messiah because Jesus is doing all the things that the Messiah is supposed to be doing according to the Old Testament prophecies. And now John understands this. So how do you respond when you experience doubt? Do you let your doubt take you away from your faith? Do you allow human reasoning, human reasoning to come in and think things like, this can't be true, I don't believe that. Or do you respond to doubt like John the Baptist, who investigated to find the answers to his questions? Do you seek for answers? Do you search the scriptures? Do you seek godly counsel? The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have done things that are displeasing to God. There is no one who is innocent. If you've lied even once, if you've stole anything your entire life, Jesus even takes it a step further. If you get angry with your brother or sister, you are in subject to judgment. We need to recognize we all have sinned. There isn't one of us that is innocent. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, it, the, for the wages of sin is death. So it teaches us about the consequences of our sin. The punishment that we've earned for our sin is death. And this isn't just like a physical death, but this is an eternal death. But the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 declares, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God and hallelujah. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus' death paid the price for my sins. Jesus' death 
paid the price for your sins, for your loved ones, for your relatives, for the people that you work with. Jesus has paid it all. And the punishment that was on us is now forgiven. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, all we have to do is believe in him. Trusting that his death has paid the penalty of our sins and we will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and to rescue us from eternal death. Salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is available to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you believe this, great. Go and share it with those who don't. However, if you struggle with this, if you doubt this in any way, investigate these things. Search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. The elders will be up here in front after the worship song. If you have any questions or thoughts and you would like to share, uh, please come forward and talk to us about this. Or if you would like prayer for anything, please come forward. And I want you to remember the doubt is okay. If you use that doubt to seek greater revelation, greater understanding, which will lead to a greater faith. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. You have given us such a great tool to know you. You have revealed yourself through your word and preserved it so that we can all have it in such an abundant way on our bookshelves, on our coffee tables, on our smartphones, and in our hearts. Lord, your word is abundantly available to us. Lord, I thank you for passages like we've read today. You remind us that at times we will doubt. You remind us that even the greatest prophet had doubts. And you remind us that those, who, that those doubts can lead us to greater revelation and greater understanding, which will lead to a greater faith in you. Lord, we do believe. Help our unbelief. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.